Bonjour, bonjour, and welcome to another episode of EveryoneHatesMarketers.com, the marketing podcast for marketers, founders, and tech people who are just sick of shady, aggressive marketing. I'm your host, Louis Grenier. In today's episode, you will learn why your content sucks and how to fix it. My guest today is a super experienced content marketer and lecturer. He's the CEO of T3 Custom. He knows his stuff around digital marketing strategies. He worked with many, many clients for the last 18 years, including companies I love, banks in particular, I love them, HSBC, Forbes, Nasdaq, BlackRock, and all of those big names. So he knows his stuff around content marketing in particular. Uh, he's based in Seattle, uh, Washington, and he also consults with and has written for the Content Marketing Institute. And finally, he has a book coming out called Conversation Marketing, How to Be Relevant and Engage Your Customer by Speaking Human. So very happy to have you, Kevin Lund, on board. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you, Louis. I appreciate the uh, warm introduction. You're very welcome. So we've talked about content marketing in this podcast multiple times. We talked about content multiple times. We also talked about the fact that people seem to be absolutely overwhelmed by all the content being thrown at them. Can you remind me, I don't know if you know this study, if you have a study that you've read recently, but on average, how many times are people being exposed to content or stuff in general from companies every day? Well, if you look at emails alone, there's over 200 emails every day between business and personal. And we spend over, I think it was uh, four to six hours on our phone. So there's that kind of information. But the actual messages uh, that I, that, uh, the statistic that was the most interesting to me was there's over 3,000 marketing messages every day. And that may seem like an impossibility, but you know, it's everything from a logo that you might see on your shoe uh, to an advertisement on TV to content that you're reading to an email. So it's, it's, the numbers are up there. So how, I have to curse straight away, but how the fuck are people supposed to handle that? Like, how the fuck are you supposed as a brand or as a marketer, or as a content marketer, supposed to, to cut through that noise, right? Yeah, it is tough. And that's one of the reasons why, you know, I, you know, we're in information overload. We've got too much of a good thing now. And this was part of my philosophy all along was, you know, if you're going to write content, it better be good. I mean, you are competing against 3,000 messages, so you can't just put out content for content's sake. And that's sort of why I titled this bit, Why Your Content Sucks and How to Fix It. So, you know, I, I go out there and talk about various ways of improving your content so you do stand out from the crowd and you do get seen. Yeah, because I guess the, the flip side is, and the good sign, is that many companies do things very badly. I mean, I, I can think of 10 shitty messages only today that I've seen online or over email or, or shitty behavior or shitty marketing that I've seen just today alone. So the good news is that you can stand out fairly easily if you just focus on what matters the most, speaking human, being yourself, treating people like they are human being and not just numbers and all of that. But I don't want to lead you into answering questions the way I want to. So instead, why don't you tell me more about why content from companies seem, tend to suck more than they uh, than it tends to be good. And maybe you can describe a few symptoms of why this content sucks so much. Well, I, I think part of the reason is because a lot of content writers are not trained as content writers. And a lot of content that's being put out there is because, you know, for the first couple of decades, as the, uh, as the internet was sort of in the, in the heyday of the internet in the 90s, we were all clicking buttons and having a lot of fun, you know, clicking emails and there was a high click through rate and it really, nobody really paid attention to telling stories and telling good content. They were just clicking buttons and having fun. And, you know, there was a very predictable 
measure of how many people would buy your product or at least click through. I mean, the numbers were as high as five to 10% when it was born. And over the last couple of decades, as content has matured and brands have become publishers now, um, especially when the fallout you, you know, of, of 2008 and nine happened and there was a lot of publishing companies that sort of went out of business, you had brand publishing come to rise. And so there was a lot of extra pressure for, for companies to come out and be seen and, and publish content. And one of the ways they decided to do that was to start marketing themselves through that content. And it ended up becoming more of a long form billboard, you know, discussing products and services and not really focusing on the needs of the person reading the article. So people got uh, companies got really good at SEO, you know, the search engine optimization and playing with the bots and playing around the rules of Google. But they stopped paying attention to what the humans actually needed once they got to the story. So you could bring the horse to water, but they couldn't get him to drink very well. And that's they're still suffering today. And it's just a lot of really crappy content that doesn't do anything. There might be a few step by steps, but they're not. People aren't remembering the content. They don't remember where they read it. It's ineffective. And there's very, very high bounce rates. Right. That makes total sense. Can you give me more detail? Because that's something that's, that sparked my attention, my interest when you talked about the publishing world that kind of collapsed in, you said, 2009. Is that it? Yeah, yeah. 2008 and 9, the global economic collapse, you know, there was right. a lot of consolidation in publishing. And so the responsibility of putting out good content, you know, was less on uh, the media as they were struggling to survive and more on the uh, the businesses that started springing up online. Well, that's interesting take, actually. I never heard of that uh, connection before. That makes total sense. And uh, since then, it's clear that, as you said, companies have taken the role of publishers and more and more companies are publishing more and more content. I would, all, however, question the fact that those companies only started to ignore what customer really cared about or the way they would talk when they only started to do content marketing properly. I, I have a feeling that they were bad from the start. The content that we're seeing is just a symptom of all of that behavior, if it makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And if you think about it, too, you know, something to add to the to the whole uh, soup that happened back in 2008 and 9, you know, I think iPhone came out in 2007. Right. And the iPad might have been I can't remember what it is, but you have the you have the uh, proliferation of mobile devices. And that was kind of when the digital age really transformed. So there was this gap to fill. So when you have all the print companies and print media companies that hadn't didn't really establish their online presence yet, that big gap was being filled by companies. And that's and people were going online to get answers and the content that was being put out there, it was in demand. So there was a huge gap being filled by companies. And the problem is if you put a subject matter expert inside of a company with a junior level marketing person or even a marketing person that has very little writing experience other than copywriting experience, they may not be trained as journalists or writers who would do a better job of telling stories and making a connection with that group. So it really it wasn't really the company's fault to begin with. But I do blame companies now for not improving on what, what they started in the beginning. So let's, can you give me a bit more example about content that sucks? Give me more like tangible examples that people can relate to. Well, you know, take the financial world. You know, I, we've, we've specialized quite a bit over the years in financial. And, uh, you know, I've obviously done a fair amount of looking around, spying on some of the other companies, see what they're doing. And they might write a really catchy headline like how to not lose money in a bear market. You can go grab that headline and it might be SEO driven and there's going to be a lot of people that go read that article. And then you get there and it's nothing but an advertisement for funding an account at a broker. 
And it might have, you know, two or three sentences about or two or three paragraphs about diversify your portfolio and buy cash bonds and, you know, the kinds of stuff that we hear every day ad nauseum. So it's nothing really new and interesting. There's no new right angles to the content. They're just trying to grab you with headlines. And so the first thing is, is people just, uh, you know, companies will use catchy headlines and SEO tactics to bring you to their content. But then when they deliver the content, there's, it's not in storied form. It's not very helpful. It's not very memorable. And it's not likely shareable, which really is the, the key to good, successful content marketing is creating shareable content that makes an emotional connection with the reader. I'm actually so glad you took the example of financial institutions. Yeah. <laughs> because there's so much, yeah. so many things to say about them. But that's, that's true. And that's something you see a lot, which is the, the traditional kind of bullshitty way to, to message people and to market at people instead of uh, with them which is exactly, as you said, like a good headline, and then you fail to deliver on the promise and you end up with paragraph of fluff that you really, frankly, can't understand if you don't have a MBA in finance or anything related, right? So I guess this episode is particularly for you if you work in finance, because I guess we can help you even more uh, than the other industries. So that makes all the sense in the world. And that's why, in your opinion, content sucks the most is that we do a good job at bringing people in and then we fail to deliver on a promise and we give them fluff and basically they end up being more confused than they were before they arrived. Perhaps. Yeah, it's basically being inwardly focused on the products and services and not really being outwardly focused on addressing the needs. The quote I use a lot is, don't sell me a camera, teach me how to take a great picture. And, you know, if you're Kodak, you know, you don't need to mention that you're Kodak or even necessarily talk about your cameras to be able to write a great article on how to take a good picture. And if you have it branded with Kodak or it's in your Kodak blog, then great. You know what? People get it. They just want the information and they're going to see the branding. And that little branding on the outside of the article is the billboard that they're going to see. And that's what they're going to remember. All right. So let's go through the practical steps to actually make your content stand out so that it doesn't suck anymore. And I know okay. you have you have a few steps there that we can go through. So let's go through step number one. What do you think is the number one thing that people should do right now to improve their content? I think number one is don't say anything just yet. I think that, you know, it's sort of a, it's an anti-content moment where you don't want to say anything just yet. Instead of just putting something out there for the sake of putting something out there, you know, everybody wants to put out a blog and they know they need to, and they know they need to put out regular content. But if you don't take the time to actually listen to what your audience is trying to tell you, you're not really going to be giving them any relevant information. There's a lot of companies that go into business over the years and, and they they stick to sort of one mission statement, but they're not really listening to the current needs of their audience and what they're saying right now in this very moment in real time. So you've got to step back and listen. So that's that sounds good. And I really appreciate you summarizing that to the yes sense, because that's something we've talked about a lot, but it needs to be repeated until the end of times. It's all about listening first and uh, acting and doing marketing second in a sense. But I know I can hear my listeners uh, asking the question, which is, okay, that's all well and good, but how do you do that practically today? How do I find the time to do it? So I know that's one of the biggest objections out there is, oh yeah, I know I need to listen to my customer. Everybody says that. Where do I even start? And why should I take hours out of my day to make it happen? Absolutely. Yeah. In fact, a lot of these steps are going to sound like, you know, okay, that's obvious. But if it's so obvious, how come people still aren't doing it? So the question becomes, what are the specifics? And at the end of the day, uh, especially when we're talking about any business, it could be big, it could be small, you could be an entrepreneur, you could be a writer, a freelancer. You you just need to go out there and listen on social media. And there's a couple of tools you can get that to, to pay for them that aren't very expensive. And then there's free tools. You could use Hootsuite. 
to track social media conversations, especially on Twitter. And you can actually listen in real time what the current you know state of affairs are in your industry. LinkedIn, if you're a professional organization and you're a consultant, you're probably going to be listening on LinkedIn and joining those groups. And, and any group that is relevant to your industry, join it. I mean, usually it's uh, permission-based and that's good because they, they keep out the riffraff and they do a little checking on your resume to make sure that you're the right fit. Um, and then respect the rules of those groups too. Don't go out there selling products and don't go out there trying to recruit people necessarily. Start participating in those conversations. Uh, one of the things I tell people is, is you haven't been invited to the conversation yet. And what people are having right now in real time in your industry is a conversation that somebody else has possibly started. So if you're just starting your content marketing program, don't jump in just yet. Wait, not necessarily wait to be invited, but listen in and contribute and add some value to the conversation by providing solutions or your opinions uh, without really promoting yourself or maybe even saying your name. So let's say we're listening on LinkedIn, if that's where our audience hangs out and, and we are like members of groups and forums and whatnot. Um, you can have a sense of what people say, but like what type of stuff should you listen to and how do you keep track of that to use that in your copywriting and your messaging? Because I understand the first step, right? You need to empathize, you need to hang out where they hang out, but how do you turn that into something substantial? Uh, well, you turn into some substantial it, by listening and, you know, anytime something comes up that might make you sort of, so we, we're all experts in what we do, right? I mean, at least I, I like to think I'm an expert in what I do, but I'm always listening for the right angle. And I think that that's the thing. And, and the right angle can often be the things that you're not hearing. So maybe that you do come to the table or the conversation with a solution and you're waiting to hear people ask about that. There could be two things happening. Number one, it's knowledge that they don't know that they need. Or maybe it's something that you don't need to be saying that you think you need to bring to the table. You might be wasting your time if somebody's not asking questions. But at the end of the day, you want to listen for the right angles. What can you be contributing to a conversation that isn't already being said? And that's sort of step two is earning their attention. You have to do something unique. You can't just start answering questions without having some spin on what you do. What makes you special? What makes your solution special? What makes your knowledge different from somebody else? You know, or maybe you can say the answer in a, in a certain way that isn't already being said. Okay, so that, that's all well and good, Kevin. And I appreciate you going to step two already, which is, in your opinion, to earn their attention. But I do think that there is a bit missing in still in, in the point number one about listening. So you mentioned hanging out where they hang out, which is really good. You also listen about, you know, what are they focusing on? What are the pain points? How can you help them? But that doesn't bring me to the point where I can, let's say, write a landing page or headline or value proposition that speaks to them, right? Like, I feel like there's a magic step that you are not talking about that is missing between those two. Well, let me use, I'll use the financial world again, because I think most people can relate to the financial world, you know, in, on some level, you're either writing checks to pay for groceries or you're, you're, uh, well, actually probably not writing checks, but you're either paying <laughs> for groceries or you're investing in stocks and, you know, in investments and things like that. So let's just take the example. I mean, everybody loves Apple, right? We're both using apples ourselves right now. And, and we know that Apple's one of the biggest companies and there's a lot of people investing in their stock. Everybody's talking about Apple. So is there something that you could be saying differently about Apple or something else that might be worth it? Because if you're a broker, for example, or you're an investment advisor, an independent, and you want to provide some new ideas, you need to go plug yourself into some of those groups that are talking. And maybe you're going to be joining tech investment boards or you're going to be joining the financial advisory boards, or, you know, these chat rooms on LinkedIn or these, uh, you know, these groups on LinkedIn. And you're going to be listening for the conversations. And you could go to Hootsuite, like we talked about earlier 
earlier and type in Apple and see what kind of conversations are going on around it. And what you listen for are the things that people aren't saying. I mean, it's one thing to say, ooh, Apple's retracing here. I'm going to buy some. It's a great deal. It's, got, it's down 20%. It's another thing to talk about whether or not there's a way that you, is there a tool out there that you can use to figure out if there's a high probability that it's going to keep going down or not? When do you get into Apple? Is now the right time? And you could be talking about tools that you might have either as a broker or if you're a financial advisor, use your, your wisdom and your, as a, as a place, as a jumping point to say, Hey, you know what? I'm a tech investor and here's some, here's a twist on what, uh, you know, my view, you know, on, on how to get into a stock like Apple as well as any other high flying stock that's crashed 20% in the last month. So you just have to kind of listen for what people aren't saying and try to participate in the conversation in a way that's unique and has your own spin and flavor on it. Right. Okay. So I get it way more now because in my, when I first, you know, listened to you talking about listening to customers, it, it, I thought it was more about the fact that, you know, you listen to what they say, the way they say it, and you can reuse that in your marketing, which is something we mentioned a few times on the podcast already. But what you're saying is different. And I think it's actually makes the point. It's like it's different and it makes uh, a lot of sense because that's something I, I tend to, to to like to do. I'm very contrarian in nature. So if I see conversations after conversations of people mentioning the same thing, I'm likely going to try to find a, a reason why I should contradict them or at least find an angle that is different because everyone is talking about the same thing. So I get that. So absolutely. In, in essence, point one is just the step before point two, in a sense that you listen to find the right angle what people are not saying so that you can earn their attention, right? Exactly. And one for you, the way to earn their attention is really to say not doing what everyone else is doing, right? So exactly. that's something I love doing actually. And, and this podcast is a good example. Uh, I mean, I might be speaking too much about myself here, but that's an example I know because I know the, the process that went through that for years and years, I listened to people talking about SEO and numbers and, you know, how to hack Google and also how to, to make people do what you want them to do without caring about the fact that they are just humans behind the, their screens. And just pissed me off so much that after a while of reading those stupid books and going to those conferences of, you know, speakers talking about the exact same thing and those social media trends and all of this bullshit, I just, I just had enough and I had to find a way to express that, that anger almost. Right. And everyone hates marketers kind of the, the fruit of this anger. So I get you. Um, so y your main way is to find an angle that is worth talking about and not everyone else is, is talking about. Now that's all well and good in, in retrospect, when you talk about it like this, it makes sense, but how does one actually find an angle that is truly contrarian? Well, it actually is a couple of different parts. And I'll use you as an example. You know, you come to the podcast and you have a certain, it's very clear what your strategy is. You know, you are sort of taking the opposite view that most marketing kind of sucks and you have this mission to improve it. And you have a very easy to talk to language. You know, it's easy to understand. I come into this conversation saying, yeah, this is what I've been trying to promote forever. So it is about your tone of voice. And it's not just about the finding the right angles, but it's also establishing a voice in the industry and, and, not, and being unapologetic about it. You don't want to be apologetic for what you're trying to say. And you don't want to try to tiptoe across anybody, too. Uh, clearly, I'm not afraid of offending anybody. I mean, I could say pretty comfortably that most content does suck. And, but there's a lot of really great content out there. So we can really learn from the content that's good, that resonates with us by studying it and participating in the conversations around that good content. 
So it is about tone of voice and establishing who you are. Who cares about what you do? Most people understand the products and services that you offer, but nobody really knows who you are. And if you're going to go out there and, and create handshake moments where you're meeting, you got to kind of think of this as I'm talking to one person at a time. I'm not talking into an entire audience when I create a blog, even though I might want to have a thousand people read my blog or 10,000 people. At the end of the day, there's one person listening to a podcast. There's one person at a time reading your blog. There might be 10,000 at the same time, but you're talking to one person. So you have to start to create a two-way dialogue. So by creating that two-way dialogue through a personality, you have to get a, the right personality to come to this conversation to begin with. Because that's really step one is creating your personality and making sure it's unique and unapologetic. And then secondly, it's, it, it is about finding the spin. Uh, and it really is about learning to be a good storyteller and creating an emotion instead of spewing a bunch of facts about what you can do or the marketplace. I mean, people generally can argue with facts, but they can't argue with story. You can't argue with once upon a time and then how it ends. And that's the beauty of being a good storyteller in your content is you can engage somebody in a certain way because you create your leads or your content creates a relatable experience. You sort of address a problem that they might have already and then they relate to it. And then you provide a solution and you're still not talking about products and services. You're just helping them through this problem in the form of an article. And then when they start to respond to your article through the, the comments or something at the end of your blog, you can start to carry on a two-way dialogue with them and, and start to uh, create value with them. So that makes all the sense in the world. And I'm glad you're mentioning all of that. I know, though, that people listening have this question, which is, I understand that I need to pick an angle. And I need to be unapologetic, that I have to have a strong personality, but I'm scared. Right. I'm scared of doing that because not everyone is doing it. And I tend to follow what others are doing. And I tend to, to seek, you know, approval from others. How do you convince me of taking such a risk, such as, you know, starting a digital agency that is not an award winning digital agency like anyone else? And you just stop saying award winning for once or a bakery that doesn't sell anything but croissant, but just focus on the best croissant in the world. I don't know why I picked this example, but you get my drift, right? You know where I'm coming from. So how do you convince people to take such a risk, to be unapologetic, to have a personality and not just to be like everyone else? That's a tough question, but I think it comes down to how are you in your daily life? I think one of the things that we lose sight of is that even as marketers, we come to, we approach content as human beings. And so one of the first things I would do is start to analyze how you yourself engage in your own personal conversations with family, friends, colleagues, and everything. What do you sound like? And try to personify that, your content, through your own voice. You don't have to become a different person. You don't have to become something else. Especially if you're a freelancer, it's actually quite easy to go out there and establish a voice online that's very similar to the voice that you have. It's a lot more difficult for companies to figure out what kind of personality they, they want to become or want to be in the presence on social media. But if you're just starting out and you're, let's just take like the, the entrepreneur or the, the, the blogger or the financial advisor or the doctor or somebody who's got a small business, you just really take your own personality and start writing a few things. Maybe don't publish it yet. Just write a few pieces of content. Come up, you know, when you're doing your listening and you address a few problems and you find the right angles, practice a little bit. And that's, that's why you don't want to start talking right away. You want to kind of practice makes perfect. And Get your, you know, get your sea legs uh, writing some content and see if the personality comes out and start to share it with your own friends and colleagues and family and see what they think about it and how, how you might improve on that. It won't take very long, a week or two if you're, if you're writing every day, to just get a sense of how to craft your own voice. And when people start relating to it in a way, your, your friends and colleagues say, yeah, this is good. 
as long as they're being honest with you, it starts to give you that confidence that you're onto something. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you on this one. And I think that's a great tip. I've met a lot of people throughout the years in marketing and there is a clear difference between who they are as a person and, and what their business, maybe they founded a business a year, years ago or maybe they're just a freelancer and what their business voice is, right? And usually there's a big gap. So that makes sense to actually stick to who you are truly because it's easier as well to stick to who you are, to stick to your personality and tone of voice when it's natural, when it's really who you truly are. Exactly. The thing I would question though is the fact that seeking maybe feedback from friends or family and people who know you. The reason why I say that, and once again, it's completely from experience, I might be wrong, is that I didn't ask any one of my friends or, or colleagues or anyone what they thought of the name of this podcast or what they thought of the angle. I just went with it because my, my gut told me to, right? I just, I just had the feeling I had to do it. And I know if I had asked maybe the wrong people, some of them might have put doubt in my mind and say, oh, you know what, maybe you need to dilute the title a bit to make it less strong. Or are you sure that's the right angle? Because I haven't heard any podcast like this. Maybe people don't care. So I would just say that when it comes to taking risk like this and really, really trying to have a contrarian viewpoint that is really yourself, maybe do not listen too much um, people who, who are too close to you. You know, that's a good point, especially, you know, when it comes to naming conventions and things like that. And with your naming your business, I mean, that's a great example of you came up with an idea and, you know, everyone hates marketers may sound like, well, wait a minute, that that's not going to work and that's going to offend people or, or whatever. But, you know, again, you have a mission and it just aligns right away. And your gut was to come up to, to put that out there in the world. And there's nothing wrong with that. It could have flopped, you know, and that's the risk you take. And I can't, I can't teach an audience how to how to overcome the pain of, 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 you know, of a flop, you know, but we're human beings. We pick ourselves back up. We try something else. And if you want to get feedback, I would worry less about, Hey, what do you think of the name? And more about, Hey, I've got some ideas of things I want to talk about. What do you think of these ideas? And just get a sense of whether or not these ideas are helpful to the person, to the people you're talking to. And one way to do that is, uh, some of these groups that like, if you, uh, if you go to meetup.com and you just go to a local meetup group, not sure if they're out there in, uh, in Ireland, but, uh, you know, I know they're here in the States and, and yeah. if you're, yeah. So yeah, if you go to a meetup group, yeah. So you can go to a meetup group, maybe, uh, you, you know, it's, it's whatever industry you're in. There's meetup groups for marketers. There's meetup groups for, you know, you know, the leisure activities that you're interested in, like skiing or whatever, and just go to these groups and say, Hey, you know, I, I have a couple ideas I'm going to be blogging about. You guys want to take a listen and you're going to get some of that feedback. Um, and they're people that you don't really know very well. So why not take a risk in front of them? Yeah. And, and you cannot afford not to ask for feedback, right? Let's to be clear. You I'm can't. Not, I'm not saying you should not listen to feedback. I'm making the point that, yeah, people close to you tend to have emotional connection with you and they might not be the best person to ask. However, as you said, perfect strangers that you've just met, if you ask them to be super honest with you, which I think is a, is another thing to, to say openly, say like, please be hundred percent honest. You're not going to offend me or hurt my feelings. Tell me what you think. That's going to help you. Absolutely. Better to ask somebody, uh, personally, you know, maybe like I said, like, a, like a group of people, maybe it's not meetup or maybe it's just a local organization, um, that you, of people that you don't know very well. Um, if you don't want to make a fool of yourself in front of your family and friends, who cares about the, the, the people that you don't know? If you don't like the experience, it may be good for you to know that maybe you're not, maybe you're not cut out to do this, the blogging thing or, or the content thing. And maybe you need to go out and hire a professional writer or somebody who does know what they're doing. That's also a good test too. So, 
a few minutes ago, you, you mentioned kind of step three of your of your thinking, which was about storytelling. And we talked about storytelling as well on the podcast a few times, but I think you do have a unique take on it. So once you've earned the attention of your audience, once you find the right angle, once you feel you have a mission that is worth talking about and you, you, you have an angle that is somewhat unique, you're making the point that telling a good story is what matters. It's not really about facts. It's really about stories. So how do you go about actually telling a good story in the first place? It's a tough question to answer because uh, storytelling is now being bandied. The term itself is being bandied about quite a bit. And uh, and what I really try to help people understand is more or less how to use storytelling techniques. You're you're not always going to be uh, able to create a story front to back that's you know once upon a time and then you know they rode off into the sunset, right? That that's the old classic story. But at the end of the day, what you need to do is craft a piece of content in a way that's going to grab somebody and hopefully make some kind of an emotional connection. You might it might be um, inspiration. It's going to be it could be anger. It could be sadness. It could be something. It could be hope. But if you could create something, and a lot of times it's hope. You're solving a problem. So you know if somebody comes and says, "Hey, I need to learn how to do X," and you give them a solution to that, you've given them hope. So that is an emotional connection. And if you give them hope and they enjoy reading your stuff, they're going to share it. So you have to apply some basic storytelling techniques. And one of the first things you have to remember is you are not the hero of the story. Your audience is. Your products are not the heroes of the story. And, and you know, just think of every story as a hero at some point and put the hero on the, the, the person reading it. And, and that's sort of where you start. I like that very much because I think that's what people tend to do a lot is talking about themselves and put them at the center of the story. So how do you flip the table? How do you flip everything so that they are at the center? How do you force yourself not to focus on yourself? You know, and this would be in that early, the, the part that we were talking about in the last, you know, with the last answer was, you know, you got to practice. So, you know, and one of the things that you need to do is just, you know, I challenge anybody listening, just if you haven't done this before, just go ahead and start writing something. And the rules of thumb are try to create, you know, try to think of a problem that you, that your business or your expertise can solve. Keep in mind that you're not the hero, but the person whose, whose problem it is that you're trying to solve, they're the hero. So you're going to help them be the knight in shining armor for their, for their industry or their, their problem that they're trying to solve. And you don't mention your name, don't mention your product's name and try to do everything you can to provide workable solutions. So you just, the basic techniques of don't talk about who you are, don't brag about who you are, be humble, um, and try to craft a scenario in two to three sentences. Say, you know, isn't it funny how some people do X and yet there's no solution for Y? You know, so you can, so you can create your lead, establish who is the hero of the story, and then start to develop the body of that content, you know, by solving their problem. That's a nice little exercise to do. So repeat, repeat that for me. So you wouldn't, so you can't really talk about who you are, what you do. And you, you also mentioned workable solutions. You shouldn't, you should not mention workable solutions. No, you should mention workable solutions. Just don't talk about it in the context of your tools and services as being those solutions. So let's say, for example, you're a psychiatrist or, or, or a therapist and you're talking, you know, you have a blog and you have a, you have a specialized uh, niche and you're talking, maybe it's in the family therapy, you know, and you're trying to help children of divorced parents or something like that. You know, rather than try to establish in the first paragraph that you've been in business for 15 years and you're Dr. So-and-so and you have a, an office that specializes in family therapy, 
You're simply going to take a problem that is very common. You're going to apply your own spin to it, and you're going to establish like, hey, you know, statistically speaking, children of divorced parents wind up doing X, Y, and Z if if they're not uh, if they're not properly taken care of. And sometimes that means they need to go see a therapist. Sometimes that means that parents need to sort of, you know, stop saying certain things. So you you establish your credibility by talking about solutions and what a therapist might be able to do in that situation for the child, as opposed to talking about yourself and your credentials. So let's let's go through it with a bit more details, because I can feel you're quite creative in that. You can come up with stuff on the fly, so we're not doing it right now. How would you go? You can pick an industry that you're more familiar with, by the way. But let's let's craft a very simple, compelling story that would lead people to say, aha, that's interesting. I want to know more about whatever business without mentioning who we were and what we offer directly. Okay. So let's just say, you know, I'll, I'll go back into financials. So I, I love talking about stocks. So sure. let, let's go with that one. And right now the market's been pretty turbulent and there's been a lot of talk about, you know, I mean, if you watch the news on any given night, you may not be paying attention to CNBC or some of the financial channels, but you are flipping on the TV and you probably have a 401k and you're noticing that things aren't going so well. Um, perhaps you're down about 10%, maybe 20%, whatever it is you're wondering what to do about this. And nobody's declaring that there's a bear market, meaning the market's going to be going in a, in a period of time of a protracted sort of uh, returns. It's going to be going down, down, down. But you want to have an idea of when this might be coming or what to do about it. So if you're a marketer for, say, a brokerage firm or a financial advisor, you could establish, you know, you could put a slick headline in there, something along the lines of, you know, bear market radar detector, and get people to go to your site and and see that, uh, you know, okay, well, I'm going to establish a couple of, here's a couple of tricks that you can go out on the internet with some free tools and you can actually uh, see for yourself, here are some things you want to look for that might tell you that the shoe's going to drop in the marketplace. And so you could talk about two or three things that would indicate that the market's going down. And if anybody is, you know, knows anything about chart reading and your blog is about how to read stock charts, you could discuss the types of things they might want to look for in the price action on a chart. If you're somebody who talks about fundamentals, you could be talking about some of the, um, you know, some of the fundamental indicators like price to earnings ratio and what kinds of price to earnings ratios or what kind of sentiment indicators might indicate that a market's going to be going down. And if three or four things all line up to say, yep, we're going down, you could also provide a solution on what to do about it and how to perhaps rebalance a portfolio or how to protect yourself if, in fact, the stock market is going to go down. So that kind of brings us to, to the point number four, which which is about being humble, right? And not pitching and, and self-teaching. But so to deconstruct what you've just done, the way you've actually described who this person is with before actually trying to describe how you would go about it was actually even more impressive, should I say, because even though you know the market, obviously you do know it, uh, which is a testament to your skills because you were able to listen a lot of that. You actually described in detail what this person goes through. You said that, you know, they might, uh, you might have a 401 and that it might be going down. You, you said that you might be worrying about it. You said that, uh, you've noticed if you watch the news that stock is kind of going all over the place and therefore there might be a bear market uh, in front of us and you might be worrying that you might be even losing more money. And all of that stuff that you said kind of naturally, is what I believe the, the true core of, of, of what you're talking about, which is the ability to understand people so well that you can just talk about it simply with simple terms and understand their pain points 
teaching them how to, to, to solve those pain points so you can in turn offer them the right solution. So I just want you to make that point that the fact that you know financial services so well, even though you're not directly in financial services, is a testament to what you're preaching, right? Yeah, it is. And Luz, I just want to add one other thing is, is at the end of the day, whenever we think about sort of, you know, if we're trying to solve a problem and a pain point, at the end of the day, we're trying to provide relief. You know, somebody goes to the internet to solve a problem. They're going to read your content. Somehow they, you're lucky enough for them to land on your blog and they've never been there before. You, you're solving a problem. So if they read through that all the way to the end and they don't bounce off because you're, you've been telling this great story, you've, you've, you've been humble, you've applied all the right rules of content and they get to the very end of your article and they say, wow, that is really cool. I just learned something and I'm going to go apply that. You've actually just made their day a little bit better. And what do you think they're going to do with that content? You think they're just going to throw it out and not do anything with it? No, they're probably going to share it. They're going to probably, you know, tweet it out to their social media, or they're going to actually do something with it and maybe later on purchase your product as a result of having fixed their problem for them just through the content. So remember, it's providing relief. Content today provides relief. And that's the punchline. That's the, that's the knight in shining armor riding or the cowboy riding into the sunset moment. So the last part and piece of your of thinking and methodology is about uh, being humble. So can you go through that and explain what you mean by that? You know, there's a couple of ways to be humble. And one of them is the obvious we talked about in early on is you have to focus on them, not you. So being humble is really about, you know, the first step in being humble is, is recognizing, again, you're not the hero of the story. They are. So you really do have to get yourself in the proper mindset that you're speaking to them. You're speaking to an individual. If I was speaking to you one on one or I was talking to my own mother in my living room about a problem she's trying to solve, I'm not going to be boasting about myself or, or what I can do. I'm going to I'm going to try to walk her through those problems. So that's the first part of it. And then the other part of being humble, and this is sort of the more, you know, maybe a better word is humility is, is we live in a social world. So, you know, you're, you may be putting out content, but people are talking about you online on Twitter and in real time. They might be commenting on your blog posts if you allow that. And they're not going to be saying pretty things if they don't like what they're hearing. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm not sure how you necessarily address people who write to you, uh, Lewis, and say, I don't really like what you said. And I disagree, or I think you're this. And it's a negative comment. It takes a bigger person to be able to address that and actually use that to their advantage and meet that objection head on. And it takes a certain amount of humility to be able to turn that around um, for the better. And you'll ingratiate your audience more if you actually are humble in the regard of, hey, I can accept this criticism and I can I, and I can deal with that. And companies need to do a better job of that, too. Yep, absolutely. It, admitting when they're wrong. Yeah, you know? that's, that's, that's actually a, a psychological bias which discussed a few episodes ago with Richard Stoughton. I hope I'm not butchering his name, poor, poor guy. But basically, we're talking about marketing psychology. And one of the bias is the fact that the more you are able to uh, admit your flaws publicly and make your mistakes, uh, the more you're trusted, right? Uh, yeah. Maybe yeah, you know absolutely. this one. I do. I, I think it's a, I think it's a big part of what's missing. Um, you know, I, I, there's a couple examples too. I mean, like, let's face it, you know, United Airlines could have done a better job, um, you know, with their content and, you know, after the debacle came out when, when that, when the gentleman was taken off the plane and they had video footage about that. So there's all kinds of incidents that you can see. You can point to the big companies doing it. Um, but there's also small companies out there. There's local businesses and neighborhoods, maybe a doctor, you know, look at what's happened with Yelp. You know, I mean, if somebody doesn't like the taste of your food, they're going to say something about your restaurant. And, you know, restaurants and doctors and physicians, uh, you know, lo local business people have an opportunity to turn that around and create blogs and meet in real time those objections and perhaps even do something on a public forum. So you don't have to 
call up your customer who's talking about you on Yelp, you can actually address them and say, you know what, anytime you want to turn this around, I'm happy to do something for you. Well, I think we've covered most of your methodology in detail. I appreciate you going through it uh, with me. Yeah. I really do. I'm going to summarize it briefly so that listeners can, can remember and, and take notes. Uh, I know that's something that they like when we do that. So please interrupt me if you feel I'm not doing justice to, to your thinking. But uh, number one, don't talk, just listen at first. Uh, find uh, places where people hang out so that then you can identify a, an angle that not everyone is focusing on, something that is kind of different, that hasn't been heard before, so that you can earn their attention, which is number two. Number three, uh, use those uh, this knowledge to tell a good story. Uh, try to focus on them, not you. Um, try to not to mention who you are, what you offer straight away and focus on them. And finally, be humble, don't pitch and try to teach instead of uh, of talking about your services straight away. Yes, you got it. You got it. Great. So I've been listening, at least. Thanks, Louis. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, I'm curious about one thing about, about you. You seem to be quite a drive about yourself or to be quite passionate about, about your craft. And you've, you've been the, in the same business for like 18 years or something around those lines, right? So what keeps you going? What, what events, if you have to pick one, what event made you who you are today? You know, I'm always learning something from the people I encounter. I mean, it's that human interaction. And I think the the digital world and the online world and, and the world of content that we live in, there are so many people seeking solutions to problems. It's just fun being problem solver. I don't know. I'm always good at puzzles when I was a kid. I was great at math and geometry. And I loved I, I loved being able to solve these things and, and think it through. And I often found myself in, uh, you know, as I was starting, to, as I got older and I went, uh, I became a public speaker. Uh, teaching financial literacy at, at one point in my career, there was a, it, it, it was almost mathematical for me. Somebody would ask a question and I would have these numbers above my head and I would start to piece it all together in real time. And for some reason, it, I was able to, you know, address problems and, and questions in real time in front of 200 people, you know, in a way that nobody else was in a very human eye level way without speaking jargon, without being complicated. And for some reason, they got it. And so there was just something that I felt I had early on, and I was able to scale that um, when I launched this business about 12 years ago and became a content marketer almost by accident. Um, just it, I just felt like the more people got a sense of how to do stuff, the more problems me and my firm could solve for the people reading our content. That's what feeds me. It's the better I feel. There, there's nothing more gratifying than looking at a piece of content that my team puts together or I helped write or one of my team, you know, one of the folks on my team wrote and it's, and it's a beautiful piece. It's got great pictures and visuals. And I know it's going to get shared a thousand times on, on our, for our clients and they're going to get something out of it and we're helping them grow their business. And I just think it's content marketing is, is one of those rare businesses where everybody wins if you do it right. Yeah. Uh, I think that's a good lesson right there in terms of doubling down on your strength and identifying your strengths first and doubling down on them, focusing on what energizes you instead of what drains you. I think that's uh, what you described there is testament to that. So thanks again yeah. for being on the show. I have a few questions uh, that I always ask my guests at the end of each episode. So here we go. What do you think marketers should learn today that will help them in the next 10 years, 20 years, 50 years? Well... It's an interesting one. Um, 
you know, at the end of the day, and I'm, and uh, you know, I'm a capitalist, but capitalism is filthy and the capitalist apparatus rewards bad behaviors. So I think that the first thing you need to do is, and that's kind of like the roots of your show and in, in talking about why marketers suck. And I think the reality is, is we know that not all marketers suck and we're trying to change that. And we want to, you know, especially in the world of content, the audiences are starting to demand education. And I think that the focus for companies and businesses and entrepreneurs and, and even personal blogs, you're trying to solve problems and you're trying to educate. It's really uh, important to focus less on, you know, on, on, hey, come buy my product and really focus on what you can do um, to educate the world, the, you know, the industry or the world that you exist in and, and make it a little bit better place. I know maybe that sounds a little unrealistic at times, but we really do have to create individual mission statements that go beyond just making money. And I think that part of that is educating people and creating value for the audience that you're trying to talk to. What are the top three resources you'd recommend our listeners uh, today? That could be anything, book, podcasts, uh, conferences. Absolutely. Uh, you know, go out and find other blogs. Like if you're if you're entering this space for the first time or you need resources on how to be a better marketer, start, you know, perfecting the craft of communicating. And I would be looking at, you know, I would actually be looking at anything from how comedians, how to be a good comedian and deliver content through comedic voice, acting classes. You'd be surprised at what you can get out of it. That's the unexpected twist is you don't have to learn how to be a good marketer by studying marketing blogs. You can actually go to outside resources like storytelling or if you have a local Toastmasters in your neighborhood, it might be a good idea for you to learn how to create some speeches, um, which is essentially content, and you're trying to solve problems and speak about it. So blogs, other people's blogs, not necessarily in your industry, certainly social media. I definitely would be attending classes. I personally get a lot more when I actually see somebody else talking in the room, and it's sort of an interactive two-way conversation. Definitely be a part of those, uh, those conferences. You can find a lot of great information and great classes at local colleges and things like that. So maybe that's more than you asked for, but... It's all good. I like it. Yeah. I guess that's something that has never been mentioned before, especially the comedy one. I've interviewed a comedian on this show who turned into a marketer, and it's true that they have some spins on storytelling and how to deliver a message very fast that a lot of marketers could could benefit from. Yeah, that actually, that's the key right there, Louis. Not to, sorry to interrupt, but, uh, you know, one of the things I've noticed about comedians more than anything is they are incredible storytellers. And if they don't get a laugh at the end of their story, you're not that great of a comedian. And it has to be condensed. And one of the rules of content is, is what you think you should say in 10 words, you should probably say in three. So they're also masterful at distilling a story into just long enough to grab their attention, go through the story and get the reaction that they're after. And if you really pay attention, that's where I would be learning how to do some marketing, marketing chops. I think you've forgotten one resource you haven't mentioned. You're probably too humble to mention. What's the name of your book? The name of my book. Yeah. What? <laughs> Glad you asked. Liz. You should read my book. And it is called Conversation Marketing, How to Be Relevant and Engage Your Customer by Speaking Human. It's on Amazon. It's on Barnes & Noble. And you should, you should buy it. If people want to send you an email to ask you more questions or contact you to ask you more questions, where should they uh, go? Well, you can find me on LinkedIn, but you can ask me directly at info, I-N-F-O, at t3custom.com. All right, Kevin, you've been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Hey, Lewis, thank you so much for having me. That's it for another episode of everyonehatesmarketers.com. And this is the moment where I tell you to subscribe to our email list. So before you leave and go to another podcast or listen to another episode, 
I don't treat email list uh, the way people usually treat their email list. I really treat that as a as a one to one conversation. So I'm going to send you very short and um, personal emails every two weeks. I would say we I'll inform you of guests in advance. I'll share with you my numbers and how many listens we get and I'll also ask you for your feedback in terms of the questions we can ask future guests and perhaps I can also uh, have you on the show uh, someday so don't be afraid to subscribe I'm not going to spam you and you can always uns unsubscribe for sure if you wish the second thing we need from you is your harsh and honest feedback we know that this show is not perfect yet and we always Uh, can improve so you can send us your email at feedback at everyonehatesmarketers.com good or bad please feel free to send me an email and the last thing I like uh, from you is that if you did like the episode please share it to your friends your colleagues or whoever might like it and also please review it on iTunes or another service that you might use to listen to your podcast because if you leave us a five star review it means that more people will be likely to listen and we can spread the word quicker So thank you so much once again and au revoir. And that's it for another episode of everyonehatesmarketers.com. Thank you so much for listening. I'm super, super grateful. I'd love for you to consider subscribing to my daily newsletter, Monday to Friday, called Stand the Fuck Out Daily. I send very short, hopefully interesting, surprising, shocking, entertaining content to help you stand the fuck out. It's at everyonehatesmarketers.com. You can subscribe for free and obviously unsubscribe whenever you want. I'm just going to read a couple of emails that I got recently as a reply. Juma said, your content attacks the mind primarily, which is such a good thing because most of us are skilled at what we do, but we don't have the courage to do it our way. Mark, who just subscribed a couple uh, days before, said, this is my first issue of your newsletter. Love it. Glad I subscribed. Brianna said, I just realized this morning that my email habit is now to one, skim through the list, two, select all unread industry email except yours, three, delete and don't think twice, four, quickly skim yours. Amy said, also loving the new content that's coming from you. It feels really lovely. Candle said, I like your writing a lot. It really resonates. There's so much bullshit out there. It's good to touch the authentic. And Chloe said, where is the I fucking love this email button? Brilliant. I hope you subscribe. You'll be joining more than 14,000 subscribers at this stage, which is crazy. It's the size of a small stadium. Anyway, thank you so much. See you on the other side.